Don't you just love the way Tim and our team up here leads, leads us in, in worshiping God through music? Well, the holidays are over and we're starting a new year. We've got a new service, uh, I'm sorry, a new series that, that we'll be talking about today. And that's Now or Never. And that's because a lot of times this time of year, people think about the changes that they want to make, but then they either take action or they don't. And, and in that kind of a way of thinking, it's, it's either you do it now or you put it off and you put it off. And a lot of times it's now or never. And so that's, that's the name of our series. That's what we're doing. We're actually talking about making change is what this series is all about. And uh, I would invite you, we're going to be speaking out of Romans. So I invite you to grab a, a Bible from the chair rack in front of you. Turn to Romans chapter 12 or uh, Turn your device on and tune in. Romans chapter 12 is where we're at. I'd like to set a little context for you. Uh, Paul, who was born about the time Jesus was born. Jesus has died. Paul was converted. He went on a couple of missionary journeys around uh, the Mediterranean world. While he was in Corinth, he actually penned this book to believers in Rome, and he had never been to Rome. Later, he returns to Palestine with a gift for the uh, Jewish believers there, and he ends up arrested, and through a series of events, he, he ends up at Caesarea Maritime for a couple of years under arrest, and then he heads to Rome. He finally gets there. He's under house arrest there, and he's able to write some other letters, but then he is executed in Rome. And this letter is written from Corinth. He's never been to Rome, but there are already believers in Rome. It's about 10 years before he's killed. It's Romans chapter 12. And I'd like to um, begin in chapter 1. And, and basically, he's writing these people in Rome who are pagans who have heard the gospel that, that spread to there, not through Paul, and they have believed it. And they have turned their hearts to God. And naturally, as pagans, believing in God and understanding the gospel, giving their lives to God, they had a couple of questions. One was, you know, they wanted to know God better, teach us more about God, this God who saved us. And secondly, they wanted to know, well, how should a Christian live? And it's really the same for us today. The, the difference today is, I think a lot of times when people become believers, they already have a lot of preconceived notions about how Christians should live. So that's not a lot of times a big question. But later, when they're experiencing the Christian life and things don't go exactly the way they think and, and they find themselves doing things that they're thinking, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Then they start wondering, how do I change? But this is what Paul's gonna answer these issues. He's gonna do it in just a couple of verses here. And, uh, and that's Romans 12, beginning verse 1. Here's what Paul says. <clears throat> Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And, and if I could just interject right here, because we're only really talking about two verses, your spiritual service of worship. Some of you may have a translation where it says your reasonable service of worship. And the reason is that word involves both spiritual and reason, reasonable, logical and uh, heartfelt. 
And so which, whichever way you translate it, you just have to realize that the word includes the other. If you translate it reasonable, you need to understand not only is he saying that's logical, he's saying there's a heart part of this, a true heart of worship. And if you translate it spiritual, you need to remember there's a rationality to this as well. And then um, he continues and he says, do, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And, and a lot of us as believers will read this, they'll say, oh, this is what I need. Do not be conformed, get that, but be transformed. Well, that's the rub. How do I be transformed? How does that happen? How, how, do, I, how do I get that? And he answers that, he says, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So all true believers experience change. But there's a lot of questions about that because people get sometimes bogged down in the lie. So we're going to answer today the three key questions about change. And the first question is simply, why change? Why do people in general want to change? Well, and I believe this is an inner need for a lot of people, people who aren't even believers a lot of times they just want, they experience this need, this desire to change their lives. Uh, as some of you know, I go to the rec center uh, twice a week, and so I was there yesterday, and guess what? It was crowded yesterday, because it's January, and it's like that every January. It's just more crowded, because people, it's just the time of year that people think about making changes, so everybody kind of shows up. And then that's one area of change that people want to work on, so that happens. But our, our culture really is focused on change. People generally want to change. That's why self-help books sell so well, is because people are looking for ways to improve themselves. That's why so many people go into the change business, like doctors or teachers or counselors or psychiatrists or fitness instructors or you know uh, financial advice I mean all this is just people in the change business they're saying hey here is something that you need that is going to improve your life it seems everyone wants to change even the people who always say I don't like change. They, they're just talking about that change. Even they know, hey, yeah, I need to make some changes. Everybody seems to feel this desire. Well, why? Well, actually, we know why. Change is basically, the desire for change is just recognizing this. Here's where I'm at, but here's where I want to be. So if I'm here and here, here's where I want to be, then everything in that gap is, are the things that I want to change. And so we look at all those things, and, those, and, and now actually the Bible, and, and this is true of non-believers, but actually the Bible gives us a reason for that. From Scripture, we know the truth that we were actually created in the image of God. And so we were created to love and be loved and to do uh, great things. I mean, we're, we're wired up to do this, but after our creation, there was the fall. We talked about this two series ago. You know, there was the fall, and then all of a sudden, things got broken, and then we weren't fulfilling what God had created us to do, and we started doing life our own way, 
and all of a sudden we sense this, people in general, not just believers, people in general sense this all the time. They feel like, wow, is this it? I just feel, I just have this deep sense that I was made for more. And you, you were, everyone. Now they don't put that all together as what, they just have this longing in their heart, in their soul that tells them, it just seems like I was made for more than this. It just seems that I was destined for more than this. Well, that's where that comes from, even though people don't recognize it. People want to change. They want to change that gap. And because of that, people start pursuing different things that they think will fill the gap and make them feel more fulfilled or more satisfied. So that may be success or looks or power or money or sensuality, you know, whatever it is, they, they start pursuing things thinking this will make me feel fulfilled, this will bring satisfaction, and they don't. They're empty. But, but people have this, this nagging need to change. Now, not everyone acts on it. Some people work hard to make changes in their life, and other people recognize they could, they could make some changes, but they just never get, it's the now or never, they just never get out of the starting gate. They think about it, but they just don't do it. I, our last service, first service, we were live fed into Northwood, Grace Point at Northwood, and so I, and, and Pastor Harold is the pastor there, and so I told a story about Harold because I thought they'd be interested. You guys interested? So the way, what happens, if, boy, you guys are pretty interested. Yeah, a few years ago, Tim and Harold and I, uh, we, we were working here. This is when Harold worked for us before. And then we went over, we went to Dairy Queen, you know, just a few blocks away. It was the summertime. It was a beautiful day. And we took a break, went over to Gary, Dairy Queen. We all got blizzards. And so we're standing around in the parking lot of Dairy Queen. We're talking while we're chowing down on our huge blizzards. And this was a point in time when uh, some, of, some of our friends had just been deployed to another area of the world. And as we're eating our blizzards, Harold says, you know, if I was younger, I would go. I would go serve. I, I would go to Iraq or wherever. And then, then as he took a, another spoonful of blizzard, he said, and, and maybe if I had lost a few pounds. Well, then that started it. So from then on, for the next 30 minutes, Tim, started, Tim and I, we started out. Yeah, yeah, I would go too if I was like in a lot better shape. Yeah, I would go if they weren't really firing real bullets at me, you know. Yeah, I would go if somebody could guarantee me that I wouldn't get. Yeah, I would go if I was courageous. Yeah, I would go if I knew anything about military strategy. Yeah, I would go if I could find my way, you know. And so on and on, we just went, this is, you see, that we get caught up in that we think, because of this gap, we think, if only this, then I'd be set. If I was only in better shape, or if I only had this much money, or if I only got this next promotion, or if I only had this relationship, then everything would be good. That's why people in general want to change, and, and the truth of the basis for that is even in Scripture. But specifically, why do Christians want to change? Well, Christians want to change. It's a whole different deal. 
Because Christians want to change because they start their Christian life and they have been overwhelmed by the love of God. As a matter of fact, here, here's typically how Christians start their Christian life. Here's a video of Abby. I just wanted you to hear her story. I'm Abigail Fox, and before coming to Grace, um, I grew up in the church and I went every week, but I never really felt like I connected and I belonged there. Uh, it was just an hour that I spent every week. I went and I left, um, but in January of 2017, I lost my mom, and for about three weeks, we had stopped going to church. And uh, it was probably the lowest point of my life, and I, I felt really alone, and it was just a very dark time of my life. And um, our, our neighbors saw that we were hurting, and uh, they invited us here to Grace, and it just changed my life for the better. The moment I walked through the doors of Grace, um, I felt a sense of calmness, and it was so joyful being welcomed by the people at the doors, just seeing their smiling faces. Uh, it really it hit home at a, a time in my life that I really needed it. And um, it was just, the whole building was filled with joy. Nobody was frowning, everybody was smiling. You could just walk up to them and have a conversation like you knew them forever. And uh, the message was so powerful. I felt like I was, it was being spoke directly to me. And the following week I asked my dad if he could come back because it was just, it was so empowering. It was so amazing to be at Grace. About a month after attending Grace, um, I felt a tug on my heart and I realized that uh, I really needed to evaluate my soul and just um, understand what Christ did for me and eventually I accepted Him into my heart. And just the realization of uh, what He did for me and that God would send His Son to die for me, to save me from my sins so that I might be with Him, um, it's truly amazing to have experienced that. Since I accepted Christ in 2017, I um, was baptized that fall. In 2018, I got to attend the Kalahari Retreat for the first time. Um, it was amazing to see everybody worshiping with their hearts and everything they have. I also learned about the school that I'm now attending, Cedarville, and um, there everybody is just wanting to pour into you and wanting your faith to be first and foremost. And um, it's amazing to study there and be able to be um, pursued by Christ like that and uh, without Grace and everyone here um, I would be a completely different person and um, it doesn't matter how far you are or how um, long it takes you to get back to Him it just matters that you do and that you accept Him into your heart and um, I just want everyone to have the joy of the Lord that I do in my life because I accepted Him into my heart. That's Abby Fox. I don't know if Abby is here in this service or not. If, if you are, raise up your hand. Let me see. I know she's in town. She's away at school, but she's in town now. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's a common story for a lot of us. We become believers and, and we realize this, the truth of the gospel, this good news, this message that God has done something for us through Christ, that he has died on the cross to pay for our sins, and that if we just respond to him in faith, he'll come into our life, forgive us, and change us 
forever. That, and, and, we're, and we're just kind of blown away by the mercy of God. And that's what Paul is talking about. Therefore, he says, therefore, you know, when therefore, is, anytime you see the word therefore, you always wonder what it's therefore. There's always a reason. So therefore, and what's he talking about? Why is the therefore there? The last 11 chapters of Romans, which is all doctrine. It's all about what God's done for us. It's about salvation. It has a few examples in there, but it's 11 chapters of doctrine. And then in in chapter 12, he starts off, there's this huge shift. Therefore, therefore, based on this whole body of truth that I've told you, Therefore, because of the mercies of God, because of all this stuff God has given us, because of all this truth about God's love for us, therefore, now based on that mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers in the generic in that spot, I urge you to a practical response that's the desire. That's why Christians change. It's, it's reasonable. It's logical to have a heartfelt response of gratitude. That's what Paul's getting at. We, we should give our lives to God, which is our reasonable or spiritual service of worship. And, and now, worship We've narrowed down the word worship way too much in our common vernacular today. Today, we hear the word worship, we think singing. Well, singing to God or about God is worship, but worship is also hearing God's truth. Worship is teaching God's truth. Worship is serving one another. Worship is, all this stuff is worship. Worship is living the way God wants us to live. Worship is telling other people about God. Worship is trying to make our lives to honor God. That's all worship. We don't just worship on Sunday. We should be worshiping every day by the way we live. That's what the word means. That is our reasonable service of worship, our spiritual service of worship. And here... Paul is answering for us one of the four major questions of existence. We talk about this all the time, you know, origin, why, you know, where did I come from? Destiny, where am I going? Uh, meaning, what is my purpose? You know, why am I here? And then how should I live? Paul's answering this, this one of the four questions of existence, how should I live? And of course, a lot of people push back and say, that's the trouble with religion. Religion's always telling you how to live. I want to live how I want to live. I don't want anybody live, telling me the way I should live. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live that way. But, but get this, it's not, and they'll say that's all religions do that. Hey, newsflash, it's not just religion that does that. Pop culture does that. Pop culture is constantly pounding into us through the media how we should live, how we should be as human beings. Pick a hot topic today, whatever it is, uh, abortion or gender or sexuality. 
I mean, all those things. We, pop culture says this is how a human being should live. This is how we should view that. So yeah, religion does that, but so does pop culture. You're getting that from everywhere. The difference with Christianity from pop culture and from every other religion is that God came to us in human form. So with Christianity, we have an example to follow. Jesus, God himself came, took on flesh, lived as a human being. We have historical records of his life that are undeniable. He impacted the world more than any other person in history. Hands down, not even close. Nobody argues this. Non-Christians do not argue this. Because his life was so amazing. And we see this example of love and compassion and righteousness and holiness. And it gives us direction in our life. Otherwise, without that, that's why Christian counselors are so much better than regular counselors. Because Christian counselors, they have a direction to go. They know how we should be. They have an example to follow. In the world, you don't have that. They would just say, well, you know, I guess it's science. Uh, it's just rationalism. It's just naturalism. That's all we have. But naturalism does not answer the big questions. It, naturalism can never answer, how should I live? Well, however you want to live. How should I treat others? Well, don't hurt anybody, but then it doesn't matter. You know? and, and where are you getting that from? Don't hurt anybody. Who says don't hurt anybody? There are no answers. Christianity has those answers. How we should live. Follow Christ. Live like him. Science can't answer questions like, hey, how should I live? Or should I get divorced? Or should I forgive that person who hurt me deeply? You're not going to get those answers. Christianity gives you those answers. And that helps us to know, you know, change. And, and then we're, you know, we realize, wow, God has done something for us. He's given us this direction to follow. And then we realize that our life is, is not in tune with that. And so even more than non-believers, as believers, we want to change. We want to, to honor God. And, and so that's the why. Why? Hey, because he's lavished his mercies on us. He's given us everything. He's, he's sacrificially sacrificed himself to pay for my sin. Practically. With flesh and blood. Paid for my sin. So that's the why change for non-Christians and Christians. But then that leaves us with, well, how do we change? Okay, that's the desire, the want to, but how do we pull it off? How do we actually change? And this is what Paul then discusses. Basically what he's saying is present your bodies as living sacrifice. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. He says to them, present your body as a living sacrifice, he says to each one of us. And what he means by body is saying the whole, your whole life. 
I'm so glad that he didn't say, present your heart as living sacrifices. Because if he did that, people would be twisting Christianity and doing all kinds of things that God told us not to do. And when anybody said anything to them about it, they would just say, you don't know my heart. How many times have you heard that? You don't know my heart. Which just, you know, in their mind justifies everything. Oh, my heart's better than my actions. No. No, your actions reveal what's in your heart. And our hearts are desperately wicked. What's going on here? No, he says, present your bodies. And when he says that, he makes it very practical and it encompasses everything. Our actions, our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations, how we think, all these things. He's putting it all, our entire life, he's saying. Present your whole entire life to God. Give him everything. That's a reasonable spiritual service of worship because God's lavished his mercies on you. So live your life to honor God. Now here's the problem. Okay, so that's the how. Present our bodies as sacrifice. But then as believers, we... We realize, okay, yeah, I want to live a different way. And then typically what happens is once we've had a conversion experience like Abby was talking about, many of us, you know, we start in on the Christian life. And then what happens? We, we do something that we realize, oh, this is out of line with what God wants for me. And so then we feel bad about that. So we, we do something. In the Bible, that wrong is called sin. We sin. And then we feel bad about it. We feel guilt because we know that it's wrong, truly. And so then, hopefully, that guilt and sorrow leads us to repentance where we determine that we're not going to do it again. But then, inevitably, a lot of times what happens, we do it again. And then we get caught in this cycle of sin, guilt, repentance, that kind of doesn't stick. And then when we sin again, we feel even more guilty. And then it's a downward spiral. It just seems to get worse and worse and worse. So if that's the why of change and the how of change, well, what's the secret to lasting change? How do we make it stick? How do we make it count? How do, make, how do we make it stay with us? That's the third question I want to talk about here. And first of all, he says, Number one, stop, and just a couple things here. First, stop being conformed to the world's values. Stop being molded and shaped by the world system, by their values, what you hear in culture. Stop being shaped by that. And then he says what? Instead, stop being conformed to this world, but rather we should be transformed. Okay, well, transformed, that's what we want. You see, you can take anything, any sin. For example, uh, we're, I'm trying to think of something you know, that anybody, even non-believers, would say is a sin, because you know, sexuality and stuff, nobody would agree. But we'll say lying, probably the closest thing I could come up with, lying. Why do people 
So everybody pretty much recognizes that lying is wrong. Some people say if it serves a greater purpose, whatever. But yeah, everybody gets, yeah, it's wrong. Okay, well, there's really only a couple of reasons people don't lie. One is fear, fear of consequences. So if I get caught lying, then I'm going to be punished or there's going to be a consequence or my spouse is going to be really angry with me. I'll be sleeping on the couch or, you know, whatever it is, fear. But then the only other reason is, is typically guilt because you know it's wrong. You believe that it's wrong. You're violating your own conscience. And so that bums you out. And all of a sudden you're, ah, you know, you feel bad about doing it. The trouble is neither one of these reasons for not lying are about transformation. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those aren't transformational. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that is different. That, that's, to us, transformation happens when you remove the need to lie. And, and if you're having a trouble, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't really lie that much, you know, might want to recheck that. But, other, but let's just say exaggeration. You know, that's lying light. Lying, but with less calories. Still wrong, but, but you know, not as, quite as bad. You know, so let, whatever that is, to stop that, what we do, transformation is the renewing of our mind removes the need for us to lie. It's a whole different ball game in that way. Um, and how do we do that? Paul's saying, by the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. Now, I'm gonna go back to this, and I've said this before. A lot of people think that the gospel, this good news, what the Romans heard and what we all heard before we became believers that that's just the starting point of Christianity. That's the diving board. And once you get that, you leave that, and then you jump into the swimming pool of deeper theology. So you leave the gospel, and then you get to the really tough stuff and all the details, and, and you know, that's, that's the Christian life. That's not, that's not the way I see it. I see it that the gospel is a diving board, but when we dive off of that, we die. it's the whole pool as well. And so when we grow deeper in our knowledge of God, we're actually going deeper into the gospel. So the diving board starts us, but it's the gospel that allows us to grow. We don't grow by leaving the gospel behind. We grow by taking the gospel with us and having a deeper and deeper understanding of the gospel, which, by the way, will transform us because that truth will renew our minds. It will change our thinking. We become Christians. It's like an event, although sometimes it's hard to put our finger on exactly when that happened, and I understand that. But there is a point in time where we've come, if you're a believer, where you've come to trust Christ, Jesus, and only Jesus for your salvation. It's Christ alone through faith alone. And there is a one-time event where that happens, although for some people it's hard to put their finger on when it happened. But then the rest of the Christian life after that event is a process. Some people call it practical sanctification. But as it's a process 
of change. But now understand, he's already said don't be conformed to the world, but now I want to talk about a different kind of conformity. Sometimes in Christian circles, you have people who maybe they're Christians or or maybe they think they're Christians and they're not Christians, who are very good at conforming to a Christian lifestyle on the outward. So it may be that they're just naturally a rule follower. Ever notice that with your kids? You'll have some kids, they break the rules, and some kids, they want to follow every rule and they want to tell you every rule that anybody else broke. You know what I'm saying? Some, some people are just naturally rule followers, and some people are just naturally a little more rebellious. Some people are just naturally kind of wired up as rule followers to do family and live a moral kind of a life. Be good citizens, you know, try to be, it's just some people are wired up that way. So here's the problem. Sometimes people enter into, say, a church and they get involved in church friendships and church culture and they have this outward conformity, it's easy for some people to sort of live like a Christian and not do bad things and stay in the guardrails and sort of live your life along mainstream Christianity and that's okay because, but that's an external thing. What we're really looking for in the Christian life is an inner transformation, an inner change of heart that that's what motivates our external thinking. Now you can tell the difference sometimes when you have a, a people that, are, that seem very moral and they seem like believers and they may be believers, but anytime somebody doesn't follow the rules, they're kind of obsessed with that. Do you believe what so-and-so did, did that? Unbelievable. And they're just kind of outraged. And, you, 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 and they're always pointing and they're always questioning people's motivation, questioning people's heart. Where if a tra- that's a conformed person in Christian circles, where a transformed person in Christian circles would view that just the opposite. We all have issues. We've all got sin. And oh, they've fallen in this area. They need God's grace. God can change them. God's the answer. Is there anything I can do? That's kind of the difference. God wants us to be transformed from the inside out, not just conformed from the outside in. Now, we mentioned Kalahari earlier, and this is an event where we want two things to happen. We want kids to come to Christ, teenagers, and then the teenagers who go there who are believers to deepen their relationship with Christ. So that's happening right now. Do you ever wonder, would you like to be a fly on the wall to see exactly what's going on at Kalahari this weekend in real time? Let's check it out.
Do you see it? Yeah, while it was dark up here, I was nailing every one of those dance moves. I just want you to do that. And by the way, crowd surfing's next. Get ready, Russ, because, you know, when I dive, you got me in this section, right? You ready? I'm, when I leap, you're there for me. Yeah, Kalahari, amazing. This, these are shots from this week, and they're not live shots, but they're shots from just these last uh, Friday night, yesterday, and they're having a session this morning. Um, again, that's led by our youth group. The whole event is really led by Zach, Luke, Michael, and also our residents that are helping. So hundreds of kids have gotten saved this weekend. Hundreds of kids have given their life. 18 from our own, uh, our own group. That went, so yeah, that's, that's cool stuff. And of course, what we want for them is not only that they would enter into this relationship with Christ, you know, by, by hearing the gospel, maybe it's presented a little bit different way, or maybe some of the distractions that they normally have is taken away, or maybe they're just a friend who came and this all new. They'd enter into a relationship with Christ by responding to the gospel, and then they would begin this process of transformation, because that's the way Paul describes it, an ongoing process by the renewing of our mind as we think and absorb and drill down on God's truth. It's a continuing process of renewal, and that's what God wants for us. It's things like this. You need to know as a believer even though you don't deserve it as a believer, if you are in God's presence right now, if something happened and you were just immediately in God's presence and you're a, a believer, you could not be more loved at that moment. You could not be more accepted at that moment. God loves you more than we can even imagine God loving us because he's infinite. God accepts us more than we can feel accepted. We will feel welcomed. We will feel home. It, and it, when we dwell on these kinds of truths from Scripture, and that's why we do church, to encourage each other to, to look at these things and to be reminded of things that we already know so we will think that way. We will have a renewal of our minds so we keep focusing on God's truth and that brings transformation. And then he ends it this way. He says in the last half of verse 2, we read it. It said, so that you may approve, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And he's saying, hey, as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will prove out, we will discover that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect will prove that over and over in our life, and that will spur us on to go even deeper, be even more transformed because our mind has changed more, and that allow us to give ourselves wholly to God. So how do we change? Why do we change? We change as believers because we want to respond with a heart of gratitude, and the only reasonable thing is that we give them our whole life. And then how do we change? Well, we are transformed from the heart, from the inside out, by the renewing of our mind as we keep digesting, ingesting God's Word 
And as we dwell on his word and we think about the mercies that he's given us, that renews our mind. It helps us think about life with a greater reality because we have more truth that we're applying to what we're doing. And that helps us to live it out. And not only that, but God gives us the Holy Spirit, God himself who comes at salvation and lives in us, who will never leave us, never forsake us. He will always be with us and gives us the strength to do the right thing. He, he enables us and strengthens us to honor God with our lives. And that's what Paul, that's what we, that's what God wants for all of us. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your unbelievable mercies to us that none of us deserve. And you've allowed your son at great cost to live uh, in the body of a human being and experience pain and suffering and death as a way of paying for the sins, the punishment for our sins, that's the right punishment for us and what we deserve to pay. And you've done that for us and you offer it as a gift to everyone. You invite anyone and everyone to come and accept the gift of forgiveness. And we do that through faith alone in Christ alone. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not taken that step, that their, their Christian life is based on one event, Jesus dying on the cross and them responding in faith, and that it doesn't involve anything else, doesn't involve works or how we live, that's not the point. That all changes as we respond to that greatest gift with gratitude. So God, if there's any here that don't know you, we pray that they would, maybe that even they'd go back to room one and, and talk to a pastor. And for the rest of us who have given our lives to Christ, Lord, that we would truly honor you with the way we live, that we would change and become more and more like you following the example of Jesus, renewing our minds, being transformed. God, help us to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.